0: Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host Andy Katz on this edition of our podcast. As we head into the last week of February, believe it or not, I'm going to be joined by Isaac Brown. He's the interim head coach of Wichita State and Mike Boynton, head coach of Oklahoma State. As we end Black History Month, I wanted to bring on two coaches that one is getting an opportunity now as an interim head coach. Another who, you know, some people criticize whether or not Mike Boynton should get the job at Oklahoma State and they have both flourished in unique situations so far. And so I want to get their perspective. And I think you'll enjoy the conversation. Also, we'll be joined by Mike deCourcy He's a Hall of Famer. And uh, he's also a bracketologist from Fox Sports and analyst for Big Ten Network, and a longtime writer at the Sporting News and a very good friend. So we're going to talk about a topic that I want to address with you here quickly. And then I'll dive into it with Mike, which is, in addition to our bracket, of course, that you can get every Tuesday here in the month of February and into March, is the issue of player of the year. Luca Garza has had a phenomenal senior season, but Io has had a crazy good season. And I have a hard time picking one of them. It's a pretty crazy, unique situation where you could make an argument for either one, but leaving out the other, I think at this point with two weeks left, would be a little bit of a disservice to both of them. I would assume he was the best closer in the game. He's had two triple-doubles. He is leading Illinois to a potential number one seed and to challenge Michigan we'll see here in the final two weeks. Luca is just dominating his position. He had 30 last week at Wisconsin. So you really could see both of them be co-Big Ten Player of the Year and Coney Smith, Wooden, Oscar Robertson, AP, There's enough awards where they actually could share it or one get one, one get the other. So I'm having a hard time. I don't think it's cop-out. I'm having a hard time deciding which one to give it to. And I think they both deserve it at this point. The last time something like this happened was in 2002 when Juan Dixon won ACC Player of the Year out of Maryland and Jay Williams won National Player of the Year out of Duke. Something like that could happen this year, you could have Iowa win Big Ten and Luka win national. So don't be shocked if something crazy like that happens, because it could. Now, for coach of the year, I think I got to lean Juan Howard right now of Michigan. Juwan Howard took his team through a three-week pause. And on the other side, they're three and 0 and they beat Ohio State on the road. They've got one loss at Minnesota. They were not predicted to do this. He's taken two transfers that have stepped right in, in Mike Brown from Columbia, who has been the perfect replacement for Xavier Simpson, Chani Brown from Wake Forest. Then you add in Hunter Dickinson, who is arguably one of the best freshmen in the country. He's the best freshman in the Big Ten. And as a big man, he's being coached by Juwan Howard, and he is flourishing. I mean, he is doing phenomenally well. So Juwan, I really believe he deserves it. and. Ultimately, I think he will get it two years in. And what he's done from John Beeline, where he kept, I think, one staff member, they haven't missed a beat. I mean, it's really a remarkable transition, not from an assistant to a head coach, but from a former player who did not play for John Beeline. And of course, they don't play the same way, but the program is running the same way, in effect, the culture of winning, of expectations, of development. I mean, their players have gotten better. That's what happened under Beeline. and that's what's happening under Jawan Howard. I love the staff, Phil Martelli, Saudi Washington, Howard Isley. It's a great staff. I mean, Isaiah Livers is playing great, Hans Wagner, Eli Brooks. I mean, everything about this Michigan team, they're a contender. They can win it. So can Ohio State, so can Illinois. I think those three Big Ten teams, all three of them could beat Gonzaga or Baylor. I still would take Gonzaga or Baylor at this moment in time, but I wouldn't be shocked if any one of those three won the national championship. So we've got, I think, five number one seeds right now, only four can, of course. And then the sixth team out there that's playing great is Florida State. Florida State is making this late surge like they always do under Leonard Hamilton. Keep an eye on Florida State. They're going to get better and better and better. They could easily be a Final Four team, lead eight like we've seen. And then there are the Blue Bloods. We've talked about a lot about the Blue Bloods and we'll talk a little bit later. And they don't all have to have the color blue. Keep that in mind. Kentucky, seven and seven in the SEC. They could win the SEC tournament. They blew out Tennessee. They need to win the SEC tournament, and they can. Duke outlasted Virginia in the last possession. Blue Devils have put themselves in position to at least make things interesting down the stretch. Today, they have to win the ACC tournament. Could they? I don't think they can beat Florida State. But we'll see if they can get in somewhere in that first four conversation. Michigan State beat Indiana on the road. If Michigan State goes four and two down the stretch, Michigan State's going to get into the NCAA tournament. So they're hanging around. They could make a run. And then North Carolina, I think, is in at this moment in time. They beat Louisville by 45. I know Louisville is coming off a pause, but that was remarkable. Just shocking, that result. I mean, just hard to fathom. So we still could get some of these blue bloods in there. They won't be high seeds but they could still be in the NCAA tournament to make things very, very interesting. Coming up next on March Madness 365, my conversation with Isaac Brown, the interim head coach at Wichita State, and Mike Boynton, the head coach of Oklahoma State. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, Isaac Brown, the interim head coach at Wichita State, and Mike Boynton, the head coach of Oklahoma State. And I wanted both of you guys here on our podcast at March Madness for a couple of reasons. First, you're both having great seasons and you have a chance, obviously, to be in the NCAA tournament. Isaac, you're in first place right now and then the Americans just knocking off Houston. But also here toward the end of Black History Month, I'm always about opportunities, inclusion, and you gotta get a seat at the table to prove yourself. And for decades, you know, we have not seen that. We're getting better, there's no question. So I wanna sort of a little bit go back your, your paths and the hurdles and the adversity that obviously you guys may have had to go through and others still will have to go through. Mike, I want to start with you because I remember people like Mike Boynton, you know, how's he getting the Oklahoma State job? What? Why? Who's he? Why would he get it? How did you deal with that kind of, you know, the questioning about whether or not you should even have this job in the first place?
3: I appreciate you having us on, uh, Andy. And uh, first of all, congrats to Isaac. He's doing a hell of a job up there at Wichita. We had the pleasure of, of playing him early in the year and know how, just how good a job he's doing with his team. For me, it's been, um, it's been a fun journey, but it didn't start off pleasant. I wasn't widely accepted. I wasn't thought of to, to have an opportunity to be successful in this position. And part of it is people didn't know me. I was an assistant coach for Brad, and he left. And so it really wasn't that I just got an opportunity, but I got an opportunity at a Power 5 job. Which, even few of us have that opportunity. And if I didn't get hired at Stephen F. Austin the year before when I was an assistant here when he left, then what would compel Mike Holder, the AD here, to hire me here? Uh, what I try to do is just put my head down and do the work because I feel like, you know, making a whole lot of noise about it wasn't going to be productive. If I really was worth it, worth this chance, then I would prove it by how I worked, what our program looked like over some period of time. And I think four years into my head coaching tenure, at least we proved that we belong in the conversation and that we do have the ability to not only recruit players, but develop good game plans, to put kids in position to have success. And we can do that in every conference in America. There's only, I think, nine black coaches at the power five level. And those are certainly things that we need to continue to change. So I appreciate you giving us the opportunity to speak about this today.
0: Isaac, obviously, this is not how you wanted to become a head coach with the parting of Greg Marshall from the head coaching position, but you were given this opportunity and you have taken it and run with it. And you've got a team that's in first place in the American. When you had this opportunity, how did you approach it? Well, I approached it. It was all about the kids. I just wanted to make sure these guys were good
1: on the court, off the court. Um, Our athletic director, Darren Boatwright, has been great to me. Um, These kids have had a lot of energy and I just wanted them to have fun and that's what we're doing right now. We're having fun. We're playing smart, and we call it fun ball. Those guys have gave me a lot of leadership in the locker room. It was all about them gaining trust in me and me gaining trust in them, so we spent a lot of time together. We met individually, and those guys have been playing really hard and having fun. How did you get to this point in your journey? You know, I started out as assistant coach for 18 years. I coached for three guys that have coached in the Final Four. So I had a lot of experience, but it was just the first time I've ever gotten this opportunity. And I'm just so excited.
0: And I just wanted to give those guys 110% every day. And so to that point, the pipeline of Black assistant coaches to getting opportunity, to not just being sort of the token interview, but really having a legitimate shot to get jobs like Wichita, like Oklahoma State. Uh, How hard has that been, Isaac?
1: It's been really hard. You know, I've been coaching for 18 years. I've coached at South Alabama, Louisiana Tech, Arkansas, and I've never had an interview. So just for me to get this interview is huge for me because I just want to, you know, give 110% every day because I want to show a good example for younger guys who want to be in this position.
0: So I'm going to give 110% every day, and the guys are playing great. I'm just excited. You know, one thing, Mike, and I've been talking, we've been doing this NCA social series on a lot of these similar issues. And I don't wanna throw these, you know, coaching search companies under the bus, but the reality is the majority of them are not led by people of color. And I can't tell you if any are, but I know the ones that I know are not. And so if there isn't someone who looks like you making these decisions or these recommendations who is in the room, it may be difficult to give these opportunities. That aspect of this coaching search, how much does that need to change, Mike? A lot of it. You know, a lot of the the challenges is in
3: the lack of access to information. You know, a lot of times we find out about jobs even being available, and pretty much they're already narrowed down to a few candidates. And so even if you get a call in there or somebody gets your name on a list, you don't have a real shot at getting the job. And I think there's now just one black-led search firm out there. But I think it's incumbent upon those search firms to do a better job of being a little bit more thorough and finding guys like Isaac Brown who have been working at this, who've been successful at every level he's coached at. I had the pleasure of being an assistant coach in the SEC when he was working for John Pelfrey at Arkansas and developed a little bit of a relationship with him then. And we've crossed paths in recruiting. And so I know what he's about and how hard he works. And I wasn't surprised at all that he, once he had an opportunity, that he could do the job. Sometimes it's just having access to it, and the search firms are so limited in scope, their leadership looks like them, and a lot of times people want to hire people that they're comfortable with, people from the same background, and that's where the, the glass ceiling sort of exists, and that, you know, we've had an opportunity, Isaac and myself, to break through that here in the last few years shows that there's been some progress, but certainly from an administrative level and from a search firm level, there needs to be a much more diverse influence in those areas so that these opportunities are so far and few between. There's another gentleman named Terrence Johnson at Texas State. I know we're not here to talk about him, but he's doing a hell of a job as well under a similar circumstance to Isaac. And those guys both have earned, in my opinion, humbly so, uh, the right to be the permanent head coaches at those places because they've proven under really hard circumstances that they're really capable and willing and able to do everything they can to have their kids have success.
0: And look, I want to be clear that regardless of who you are, what you look like, if you're an interim head coach, it is hard to get the head coaching job. That is true. I know that. And I've seen that for decades covering the sport. But if you are a black interim coach or a first time black head coach, there seems to be sort of a threshold that you better reach and that, you know, you may not be given as much leeway. And that's just the history of what we've seen in this game. So Isaac, how have you been able to handle that pressure, sort of the the two-fold pressure of being that interim and also being, you know, a black interim head coach?
1: You know what? The focus hadn't been on me. The focus has been about the kids and them having fun. I haven't thought much about, you know, getting a head job. That's something I can't control. I know my athletic director has been really good to me, but I've just been focusing on the kids, making sure they're good on the court making sure they're having fun, making sure they're taking care of the academics and making sure they're safe, you know, with the COVID and all that stuff going on. So the focus hadn't been on me, I just been focusing on them having fun and them being prepared
0: for every game. You know, a couple other topics I just want to uh, dive in with you guys. First is we lost two iconic figures in the game, in the sport, in society, in Big John Thompson and John Chaney over the last year. I mean, they were incredible voices and they spoke out as the late great John Lewis would say, they created good trouble and their voices are missed. That baton, it needs to be passed down. How ready are coaches in your generation? And I'll start with you, Mike, to pick up that baton and take it.
3: Yeah, I think we all are really energized behind the climate in our country right now. There seems to be an understanding that we have much more work to do that we've come a long way, things aren't as bad as they were when, you know, I call John Thompson and John Chaney, Nolan Richardson, George Ravlin the civil rights leaders of college basketball for black coaches. So it's not as bad as it was with them, but they fought for us to be in these positions. They fought for the kids to have great opportunities, just like Isaac is talking about doing it for the kids. And we have an obligation being in this position with the voices and the platforms we have at these universities to do the same thing for the next generation of coaches. Shaka Smart, Quanzo Martin, Isaac Brown, and myself, we need those guys to be successful as well. We need them to be willing and have the courage that John Thompson and John Chaney had. So when they see something that isn't right, to be able to speak up.
1: Isaac, if you could add on that. I just want to influence these guys like the black coaches that have influenced me in the past. Rob Evans has been a big mentor of mine. He, I worked with him at Arkansas. He was the head coach at Ole Miss head coach at Arizona State. So I just want to make sure I influence these young guys the same way that black coaches have influenced me in the past. I just want to give a 110%. I want to be an energetic guy. And again, I want these kids to have fun and just try to influence them in some type of way.
0: And Isaac, you know, one thing that happened over the summer was that we saw student athletes speak out, but be empowered to speak out and not feel, you know, like, There was going to be any repercussions, you know, that they have felt that as student athletes, you know, in the past, I think in the eighties and nineties, a lot of student athletes, black, white, didn't matter. Didn't feel comfortable speaking out this summer. We saw they did and their coaches embraced it. And I also talked to a lot of white coaches who told me, you know what? I had a lot of uncomfortable conversations, conversations that. I hadn't had before. And white players told me that as well. How much do you think has changed over the last year, 10 months, to where other coaches, other players, are not just hearing what you are saying as a black American, but listening to the experience and sharing what really goes on at times?
1: I think it's great for a young men to speak out and talk about their experience. Cause I think if you had an experience it's good for someone else to tell you. But our kids have been great speaking out. We're supporting them 100%. And I think it's great for the young people that play college sports to come speak out and let their voices be heard. What I'll add to that is just the educational opportunity here.
3: I think that's the biggest difference is people are willing to learn from one another and about one another and to really be compassionate for looking out for each other. And I think that's the next step is that once we care enough to look out for our brothers and sisters out there, then we'll be more apt to be able to help them, but also have them help us understand the plight that they have going through this
0: country. And Mike, you've done a great job on social media this month, especially putting out historical uh, facts and figures, if you will, and quotes. Uh, Why have you felt empowered to do that?
3: It's kind of like you talked about before. I'm in this position. People listen to what I say sometimes, and I feel obligated to, as much as I can, pass on the education that I've received. It's interesting, Andy. I majored in African American Studies at the University of South Carolina. And some of the stuff that I'm talking about now, I never learned, even as an African American Studies major at a major university in this country. The story of Ruby Bridges being one of them, the young lady who integrated schools and had to be walked in by federal marshals, that a black person invented the stoplight and the gas mask. And those are things that if we don't ever give ourselves a chance to learn, then we'll continue to limit each other to black people just play sports and entertain. Well, no, there's been a lot of great black contributions to our country, and I've tried to highlight those as much as possible here.
0: Yeah, I'm going to tell you that, and I'm going to get on my soapbox for a minute, and I'll keep saying it, that U.S. history in this country is not taught well. I see that with my own children. It's two-dimensional. It's not three-dimensional. And we got a deep dive on U.S. history, and I think we need a complete overhaul on the way we're teaching U.S. history in this country. That's my little sidebar soapbox. Um, All right, before I let you guys go, got to deal with your teams. Start with you, Mike. I want to end with you, Isaac. You guys, Mike, are playing in arguably one of the top two conferences in the country, Big 12 and Big 10. A, where does things stand with, as far as I know, you're still in the tournament in terms of eligible. But these last two weeks, the ability to get Oklahoma State up to, you know, a potential top four seed in the Big 12 and feel comfortable, assuming you are, you know, can play in the tournament. Well, right now we are still going through our appeal. So that's still on the table.
3: The penalty has stayed until we have a a resolution on that. But right now, what I focus on is just trying to be our best today. I mean, if you look at the totality of our last five games, it's a true gauntlet, right? If you get too caught up in what else is down the road, you start looking, you got to play Oklahoma twice and possibly West Virginia and Baylor on the road to finish this thing. If we don't just focus on tonight and worry about that, we'll be in trouble. But uh, I'm excited about the opportunity to be playing relevant basketball in late February with a team that's really young that has a chance to
0: really make some noise as we finish the season. I wanted to get one more thing for you before I go to Isaac to wrap up, and that is the way you've navigated COVID and and Cade Cunningham sort of come out of it. He's still playing at a high clip. What's it been like coaching him to where he, from my vantage point from afar, has been all in? He's not about the NBA draft, what's happening next. He's about the now.
3: Yeah, in some ways he sacrificed some of his individual accolades. He's not playing to be a first-team All-American. He's not playing to be the Big 12 player of the year. He's playing so that Oklahoma State can win. And he knows that if we win and have success on the court, it can only help enhance his ability. He's elevated the visibility of our program. He's elevated the the play of his teammates. I know Isaac's probably gritting his teeth because he hit a game winner against them back in
0: December. But he's a hell of a player, and I've really, really enjoyed coaching him this year. And Isaac, how do you ensure the win over Houston first place at this moment in time with uh, two weeks left? was not a fluke, that this is a team that can literally win this league, hold on, and, you know, be for sure in the NCAA tournament. We just got to
1: keep getting better. And number one, you got to win. We got a good SMU team coming in this week, Real, really good coach. Um, Kendrick Davis, a big-time player. We got to do a good job defending at a high level. And we just got to keep executing on offense, taking good shots, and rebounding. If we do those things, I think we'll be okay. We got three games left. We got to do a good job in those games of executing on offense and defense and just continue to play good soccer basketball. I'm just so
0: excited for these kids to have the opportunity to be playing for first place. And one thing I just want to add on the back end of your comments, and I think Mike knows this too because he played them. What's amazing is this roster was a complete overhaul. You know, there was so many new players for Wichita State. So it's not like Isaac just walked into this team that was handmade to just go take to first place in the American. I mean, you had to build this team's chemistry amid a pandemic. So that's another kudos to you for everything that you've done this season at Wichita State, Isaac. So appreciate you guys taking some time out for your busy schedules. Isaac Brown, Wichita State interim head coach, hopefully full-time head coach. After the season and Mike Boynton doing an outstanding job at Oklahoma State. We hope we see the Cowboys in the NCAA tournament in a couple of weeks. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot, Andy.
1: Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything.
0: All right, it's time for Katz ranks, and for these purposes, we're gonna play off of the argument of maybe Io, DeSumo, and Luca Garza sharing national player of the year by looking at the last ten Naismith winners. I'm going to rank them. Obviously, all had great individual seasons, but we're going to go from 10 to 1 as we do here at Cats Ranks on March Madness 365. Let's start at number 10. Frank Mason from Kansas. Outstanding season in 2017. He averaged 18 and 4.6 assists a game. At number 9, Obi Toppin from Dayton. Last season, edged out Luka Garza. Averaged 20 points and 7.5 boards a game. At number 8, Big Frank, Frank Kaminsky from Wisconsin, averaged 18 a game, led Wisconsin in 2015 to the national title game. They knocked off Kentucky, which was 38-0 in that national semifinal. At number seven, Jalen Brunson from Villanova. What a career he had, two national championships. That happened, the second one in 2018, leading the Wildcats to the national championship that year, two years later after winning it in 2016, averaged 18 and four. And at number six, Trey Burke from Michigan, leading the Wolverines to the 2013 national title game before losing to Louisville. He averaged 18 and six. All right, now here's where it gets very interesting in the top five. A lot of debate here, and people are going to challenge me. At number five, I'm going with Doug McDermott from Creighton. That was in 2014, Creighton's first year in the Big East, leading them deep into the Big East tournament. 26.7 points a game really helped the Blue Jays elevate from the Missouri Valley to the Big East. At number four, Buddy Heald from Oklahoma. What a season he had in leading the Sooners to the Final Four in 2016. Ultimately, Villanova won that year over North Carolina, and Buddy averaged 25 a game. Number three, Anthony Davis, 2012 Kentucky. Remember, this is not about NBA players here. Anthony Davis had a lot of help on that Kentucky team. Did lead them to a national championship over Kansas in 2012, averaging 14 and 10. But I'm looking at impact here. Top two. Number two, Jimmer Fredette in 2011 out of BYU, averaged 28.9 points a game. He was appointment television. Jimmer was shooting the ball from all over the Marriott Center. From the logo, from the other three-point line, I'm embellishing here, but it was just Jimmer distance. And at number one, Zion Williamson from Duke in 2019, averaging 22 and 8. I know he was hurt, but he came back. They got stopped by Michigan State in the Elite Eight. And Zion Williamson, like Jimmer for different reasons, was someone you had to watch every time he played. So that's my top 10 in order, my opinion, Cats ranks, last 10 Naismith winners. Will it be Sumo from Illinois? Will it be Luca Garza from Iowa? Will they share it? We shall see. And now joining me here, are March Madness, March Madness 365, my good friend in the Hall of Famer, Mike DeCourcy, longtime writer at the Sporting News, also an analyst at Big Ten Network, and of course the bracketologist for Fox Sports. And Mike, maybe it's a cop out, but over the weekend on Big Ten Network, uh, I said, if I had to vote today, I probably would vote for both. And I don't think that's a wrong answer because they're both deserving. And I'm talking about Io DeSumo and Luca Garza as Big Ten Player of the Year. And you could make make an argument for both National Player of the Year. I saw Sunday night, Wisconsin-Northwestern game, Stephen Bardo, Flying Illini alum, but also an impartial juror here. Uh, He went with Io. Now, there are two weeks left of the regular season plus the Big Ten tournament. But where do you stand?
4: Well, it is a little bit of a cop-out, but you're not wrong. They are both phenomenal players. And I do believe that whichever one is the Big Ten player of the year, if there is a clear winner, will also be the national player of the year. Four of the first five All-Americans are very rock solid. And Jared Butler from Baylor, great chance maybe in, in early February to become that guy who passes either or both of them. But being off the court for nearly the entire month hasn't helped that. And Corey Kispert is having a ridiculous season, but it's a first team All America season, not a national player of the year season because he's supported by so much and his numbers are great in terms of percentage, but they don't overwhelm the production of Io and Luca. And both Io and Luca are doing this on great teams. And so I think whichever one, if there is a clear winner between the two of them, that player will also get my National Player of the Year vote. But as of now, some of it is the idea that Luca hasn't done anything to disappoint. I mean, he's leading the nation in scoring, even though defenses continue to do everything they can to try to get him off the block, uh, everything they can to try to get the ball out of his hands. And he's still leading the nation in scoring. I was asked this question about nine days ago by Big Ten's social department and did a video for them. And I said Luca at the time. And I got a lot of pushback from Illinois fans. And I was totally cool with that. It's what, you know, I want them to defend a player that great. I'd have been disappointed if I didn't get, hey, Io's the guy from Illini fans because he is the guy. But I think Luca has done everything that you could ask him to do, including the day after that video appeared, going out and scoring 30. And then doing something uh, maybe not quite as numerically overwhelming in the Penn State game. But when it was a tight game, it was, okay. I'll get this done. And he did it. He's been everything they need him to be. And I will lean with him for now. Certainly, there are two weeks to change that picture. And Io is doing everything he can for the most part, triple-double in his most recent game. But I do go back to some of the games in which he's closed great. The Nebraska game, I don't think I've had more fun watching a college basketball game, or at least until Michigan, Ohio State came onto my TV. I had not had more fun than watching him close against Nebraska. But opening counts too, and there wasn't much there. And then the next time he went out and had a great end, I think he had seven points and then closed with six in a row to win the game. So You got to play the whole game, and so that right now is my slight deciding factor in favor of Luka, but there are two very important weeks in which to change it, with Illinois possibly playing for a one seed, with Iowa fighting to hang on to a two. I don't know that they can get to a one, but they can stay a two, so there's lots for both to do down the stretch, and they're going to get a chance to play some great opponents and make a statement, and we'll see where it stands when it's over
0: great arguments. And I said, as of now, but I know the voting isn't now. So I still have time to make my official decision. I want to go back though, real quick to your memory bank. I think it was 02 when Juan Dixon was the ACC player of the year out of Maryland and Jay Williams was the national player of the year out of Duke. So there is precedent. What are the chances that could happen? IO, big 10, Luca, national.
4: I guess it's possible because people might not be as familiar with IO or something like that. Luca had come into the year in this as an established star, having been the sporting news player of the year last year and a first team all American. Uh, and IO was a, was, a, was very well known within the big 10, but nationally not quite as well. So I guess the voting could, could lean toward that. Uh, I guess that's a possibility, uh, but the difference between then and now is that there were full non-conference seasons and Duke did some, things in non-conference that were more impressive than maybe Maryland did that year. And I think that made a difference in, in the establishment. But I suppose it's possible because of the factors that I mentioned. But I think that if we get to the end in the situation we are now, where both just continue to play great and neither one gives an inch, I think Luca will get the national player of the year. And honestly, I think Illinois is probably going to have to beat Michigan. And obviously, I O would almost certainly play a significant role in that, but he would have to in order
0: for I O to overtake Luka on the national level. Great point. All right, I'm just going to pepper you with a couple of quick bracket questions. As we stand now, what are the chances that we won't, that we won't see two Big Ten teams on the one line? I think they're very slim at this point for the reason that
4: I saw no reason to move Ohio State off the one line after what a phenomenal game it was against Michigan. There's no one else out there that has the number of quad one wins, I think, at this point. I think they still lead the nation with nine. If they move, it's probably going to be for Illinois. I don't think Alabama or Villanova has a great case to be a one. Alabama's non-conference performance was not one level. And Villanova's not getting the number of tests it needs inside the league in order to jump over all those Big Ten teams. So I think it'll be two of Michigan, Ohio State, and Illinois. I think Michigan, after yesterday, will hold its spot. So it really comes down to Ohio State versus Illinois.
0: And last thing, Mike, I'm just going to pepper you with four blue bloods and remind people that you don't have to have a blue uniform to be a blue blood, in my opinion. So I'm including Michigan State here. All right. First, Duke. Opened a little eyes by the squeaker over Virginia for Duke to be in the NCAA tournament without winning the ACC tournament? What do they have to do?
4: Well, I think they almost have to win out. Uh, and, they, and it's good for them because if they do win out, they're going to take care of some NCAA tournament contenders. Not a, necessarily a lot of uh, A-list type teams, but they still got the second North Carolina game, which would help them if they were able to win it. They've got Louisville. Georgia Tech is certainly not in the picture, but they linger as what would certainly be at least a quad two type win. So they've got the chance to do enough in their final games that they could get back into this.
0: Carolina beats Louisville by 45. Right now, I would say they're probably right there in. It's where I have them, barely. But to hold that spot, what does Carolina have to do?
4: Well, I think that Duke game, again, for them is very important. They added Marquette as a non-conference game. Got to take care of that, certainly. And they've got Florida State at home and Syracuse on the road. Split those and beat Duke, and I think they're fine.
0: Michigan State beat Indiana. We were on the air together. They got six games left. I think if they go four and two, and it's who they play in that six, uh, which includes two Michigans, and I know we haven't seen that they can do this, but they play all the teams above them. If they go 4-2, I think they're in. What say you? I think you're right
4: about that because, again, everything that you're talking about, with the exception of the uh, IU home game, is a quad one game. And even that's a strong quad two, and it's against a, the idea that it's not an elimination game. It's not you against them, but you're, you are fighting off your competition. You're all basically bunched toward the back of the bracket or trying to get onto the back of the bracket. So if you take out an Indiana and get the sweep, that helps eliminate some of the competition or damage some of the competition. And then you've got amazing wins that you'd have to get, either some combination of Illinois, Ohio State, and one of the two Michigans. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, if they do what you said, they'll get in. But again, they have not played like that or they have not beaten a team at that level. But to be fair to them, not very many people in any sort have beaten Ohio State,
0: Illinois, or Michigan. And lastly, Kentucky. They're under 500, but they're 7-7 and in the SEC, and they blistered Tennessee. I feel there's no question that they could win the SEC tournament. I mean, they have the talent to do it. Obviously, that's the only way in, but what do you think the chances are that they could do it? I think it'll depend on the bracket, how it breaks.
4: I, I don't think that they can be great three days in a row. But they, if the bracket breaks right, they may only have to be great one day or two days. I think they could do that but they just haven't been consistent enough to be great three days in a row. And they're going to have to win at least four, Uh, but you may not have to be great to beat say Vandy. You just have to be good enough. It it all depends on how it it lines up. Uh, I've been trying to tell people all year that they're not as bad as people want them to be. Uh, The record's terrible and people are enjoying that because they don't like Kentucky, not everybody, but a lot of people. And so if you look back, I mean, they were this close to beating Kansas. They were this close twice to beating Alabama. They've been right there with teams much better than them. And I still go back to the idea that if they had played a more reasonable schedule, I don't think we'd be having this conversation. I think they'd be more like the 2016 team that had Scalabissier, wasn't great. Not sure they'd be a four or five seed, but they'd be fairly comfortably in the tournament somewhere, probably digging around an eight, nine game if they played a normal schedule and the season had developed normally, but they didn't. So they are where they are. And now they know what they have to do. And that's when the SEC's automatic bid. Not going to be easy, but they do have the ability to do it.
0: Appreciate it, Mike. Stay safe. You too, Andy. Thank you. And now it's time for March Chad. It's Chad Aycock from Turner Sports joining me. And uh, Chad, it was a big game on Sunday, Michigan Ohio State, the best regular season game to date. how did I do on that and the past week?
2: Yeah, Andy, that was man, that was a great matchup. But uh, you did nail that game, Michigan over Ohio State. But another impressive win for you, Andy, was the Wichita State over Houston game. That was a big win for the Shockers there. But overall, you went four and one. We had a couple postponements, but hey, four and one, four out of five. We'll take that any day of the week, Andy. Uh, how you feeling?
0: I'm feeling great. It was a much-needed win for Wichita State, and the Michigan-Ohio State game, you know, when games live up to the hype, you know, that's always a great thing. No doubt. Well, we've got a lot of
2: games for you this week, Andy, so let's kind of jump right into it. A lot of big matchups. Let's start Tuesday night. Illinois at Michigan State. We know all about Illinois. Uh, they've won seven in a row. Io DeSumo making a late charge for National Player of the Year. Uh, but Michigan State, I mean, not dead yet. Uh, they won at IU. Big win. I was there. I saw it. Well, I was One of about 70 people, it felt like there, but it was a big win for them. Uh, But they got a big opportunity this week with home games against Illinois and Ohio State. Who do you like to win this one?
0: Well, as much as I said Michigan State could get in if they go 4-2, and which I believe, um, this isn't one of the ones I think they can get because Illinois is just playing. at such a high clip. They went into Minnesota and rocked the Gophers. And where Michigan State has not been as strong is at the playmaker position. And that's where Illinois thrives. And also inside. And I just don't know how they're going to guard Kofi Coburn. Uh, he's just been just ridiculous. Uh, I mean, just his dunks are with authority and balls bouncing off his chest. No doubt. So I'm going
2: Illinois. All right. Yeah, you know, you're right. Aaron Henry stepped up against uh, Indiana. But Trace Jackson Davis, I think, had about 34 points on him, even though uh... – He couldn't lead him to a victory. He still dominated inside. Let's move on to Kansas at Texas. Feels like the Longhorns are fading a little bit. You know, they haven't had too much luck with the postponements. Either way, they've lost four of six. Meanwhile, Kansas, they've won six straight. But Texas won this first matchup by 25, and it feels like ages ago. Who do you like to win the rematch in Austin?
0: Well, Kansas is certainly trending in the right direction. I mean, I think they're climbing on the seed line. Texas has some issues to work out, but I think they would, or they will or they will have, after Courtney Ramey and and, uh, Andrew Jones got into it a little during the West Virginia game. So I think Shock is going to get this group righted. This is a big game for them. I think Texas takes it. All right, let's look at Wednesday night, February 24th, Alabama at Arkansas. Pretty fun
2: matchup, should be high scoring in Bud Walton Arena. The Hogs have climbed all the way up to number two in the SEC after winning seven of eight. Who do you like to win?
0: I like the Hogs. Go pig suey. I think that as well as Alabama has been scoring the ball, I think Eric Musselman's going to have his group up. So this is easily the biggest game of the year for Alabama. I think they get it. All right. Big win. How about Thursday night? West Virginia at Baylor.
2: West Virginia, they fought off some tight wins this season, uh, most recently at Texas. But Baylor, you know, they've been on pause. We're hoping this game still happens. If it does, who do you like to win?
0: So... How teams return off a pause has been a big unknown. I mean, remember, Louisville got rocked, Clemson, you saw in person. And then Michigan only was bad for a half. And Florida State almost got beat by Wake Forest and then turned around. So I think Baylor may have a bad first half, but they're just the better team and they're at home. I'm going to go with the Bears. If this game was in Morgantown, I might have a different opinion, but I'm going with Baylor. Yeah, it's good they have this
2: game at home because they've got another big game coming up this week that we'll get to in a minute. But let's stay with Thursday night. We've got Iowa at Michigan. Luca Garza became the all-time leading scorer in Iowa history
0: over the weekend. But now they've got to roll into
2: Ann Arbor to face a red-hot Michigan squad. Who do
0: you like to win? You know, I learned my lesson to not pick against Michigan, so I'm not picking against them again. (laughs) I went with them against Ohio State, as well as Iowa is playing in the huge key for Iowa. We talk a lot about Luka Garza and Joe Wieskamp, but it's CJ Frederick. He had 18, multiple threes, in their win over Penn State on Sunday. If he gets going to add with Jordan Bohannon and the aforementioned Joe and Luka show, that offense is going to be very difficult to stop. But you know what? Michigan's defense is really, really good. I'm going with the Wolverines. Yeah, I like them at home, too. Another big matchup here on Thursday night is USC at
2: Colorado. USC is kind of tied with UCLA at 12-3 and in the league here. But they've got to win at Boulder to hold on to that. Do you think the Buffs can win at altitude
0: over USC? I don't. Can they win? Yes. But I actually like USC here. They've not been a team that's lost multiple games. That's not in this team's DNA. I think they were a little just taken back on their heels when they lost to Arizona. Evan Mobley's the best player in the Pac-12. That's a tough matchup for Colorado. I think they're going to try to body him up a little with Evan Batty, but I still like Mobley's ability to sort of score from all over the floor. And Ethan Anderson certainly can match the shooting of McKinley right. He's not as quick and as good a defender, but I like USC to go in there and get it.
2: Man, it's tough to win at altitude, but that'd be a big win for USC. Uh, one more game Thursday night. Pretty, pretty big Thursday slate this week, but we've got Boise State at San Diego State. They play Thursday and then Saturday in the Mountain West. These are the top two teams in the conference. Who do you like to win the first game and second game?
0: So I'm going with the split. I'm going San Diego State first, Boise State second. San Diego State, I think, has won eight in a row. They've been, you know, peaking at the right time, but Boise State has sort of reset itself and is back to being, you know, potentially the... Uh, the title contender in the league. But I think they get a split. I don't think they get swept. All right, big split in the Mountain
2: West. Uh, Now let's look at Saturday. A lot more big matchups here, too. Let's start with Texas at Texas Tech. Two teams looking to kind of rebound after tough losses. Who do you like to win?
0: I like Texas Tech. I think the Red Raiders need this one. You know, I just got a good feeling. They match up well with them. The toughness factor, I think, will play in their hands. And I go with the Red Raiders. All right. How about Florida State, UNC? Pretty massive matchup here after Carolina destroyed
2: Louisville by 45. But the Noles are currently number one in the ACC. Who you got?
0: I got Florida State. And Carolina, smart scheduling. They need games because they're on the bubble. And they picked up a Marquette game that'll happen in the middle of the week. A game I think they'll win. So I think they'll end up splitting the week and losing at home to Florida State. Now, if they beat Florida State... That's kind of win I think that they'll be comfortably in after that. So it's a huge game for the Tar Heels, but Florida State is playing extremely well right now, as we saw last Monday when they beat Virginia 81-60. to Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that one. Let's look at another Arkansas game. This
2: time they're playing LSU. Two big home games for the Hogs this week. Do you think they go 2-0 and this week?
0: Yes. I have more faith in the Hogs than LSU. I'm going with Arkansas. Yeah, LSU, I don't
2: think they play enough defense, but they did hang 104 on Auburn, so it should be another high-scoring matchup there.
0: But Auburn lets you do that. <laughs>
2: yeah. What about Illinois-Wisconsin? We already talked about Illinois a little bit. Wisconsin, big home game here. Who do you like to win?
0: I like Illinois. I've seen Wisconsin now multiple times. I just don't think they can defend Kofi Coburn or really Iowa on the wing. And, you know, Wisconsin got good play finally on the same night from Michael Potter, Dimitri Trice, and Jonathan Davis their freshman in their win Sunday at Northwestern but they just have not been consistent and I think Illinois is a bad matchup I go Illinois
2: Mm, that's two big road wins this week for Illinois if that holds true now another matchup I kind of hinted at Baylor at Kansas Uh, this will be the second big matchup for Baylor if they hold on against West Virginia that will put this undefeated uh, record to the
0: test at Allen Fieldhouse who do you like to win I like Baylor. If this was a normal year, full Allen Fieldhouse, I know they can have fans there, but I might have a different opinion. But I think this Baylor team, especially after going through probably a rugged West Virginia, and they're not going to have the physicality of Kansas as they would with West Virginia, I think they'll be able to run against them, and I think they beat them. Yeah, me too. Now let's look at Creighton uh, Xavier. You know, this
2: is Xavier's been under pause. They've only played 16 games. I think they're 16, or they're 12 and four
0: overall. Big matchup against Creighton, though. Who do you like? I like the Blue Jays. Offensively, they're playing at a high clip right now. I'm going Creighton. Uh, Xavier's still in in my mind, but I like Creighton to keep some pressure on Villanova. All right. And last game of the week,
2: again, involves Ohio State, just like last week. This time it's Iowa at Ohio State. The final game that we're going to pick before the calendar turns to March. Who do you like to win?
0: I like the Buckeyes. So a rough week for Iowa, as well as they've been playing lately. That's the Big Ten. You can easily win three in a row, four in a row, and then lose two by just who you're playing. And this is a really rough road week for Iowa. I think they'll play well in both games, but Michigan and Ohio State back-to-back, that's a tough, tough road swing.
2: That is tough. But Andy, that's all the games I got for you. I think that was, what, 15 games? So we will revisit all these picks and what will be the first week of March next week.
0: Appreciate it, Chad. Thank you. Thank you. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. As always, really appreciate all the engagement we get across all our platforms. And a big thank you to all my guests. We've got two weeks left, and then we're going to head right into Champ Week, Selection Sunday, and the NCAA Tournament. We're going to cross that March 12th line and get to the other side after what happened a year ago. We're going to get through this. We are going to have an NCAA Tournament, and it's going to be awesome. And once again, a big shout out and thanks to our Turner Sports team, Chad Acock, Abby Stoltz, Sean Bartley, Michael Kaplan, and the entire NCAA.com team that every week does an outstanding job of helping me out, helping you out by repurposing this podcast and everything that we do here at March Madness. We'll talk to you next week. Stay safe, everyone.